to Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swinton Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we're joined by Rick Story to discuss, is selfishness a virtue? Tim. Another title for this is, Is Caring for Others Overrated? I'll start with Christianity. The great Christian law, have no other gods before you and love your neighbor as you love yourself, includes yourself as a starting part. If you can't love yourself, then how can you love your neighbor? Um, hence, the you, or rather I, seems to be the starting point in Christianity. And this sort of also applies to the golden rule, because I oftentimes think, like, you know, I once, you know, if I hit myself in the ball of a head, I hit my head, I hit a ball on my, on my head, and then threw it at someone and said, well, do unto others what you wish to be done to you, as long as, you know, if you don't love yourself, all sorts of things, all, all, all sorts of ethical systems seem to fall apart that, that way. Um, we did this. Um, we did an episode related to this, um, and Swithin's my made made a, the criticism made of me was my point was rather formalistic, and this is the Socrates point as well as Plato. It's hard to determine which author says which, but uh, Socrates' point is no one no one chooses um, no one chooses to do an action which is not in their own interest. Uh, now you could say that's almost tautological and formalistic, um, but it, it's somewhat dependent on like intent and knowledge. Um, I would posit the examples of one's acting against one's own interest is an error of perception rather than an error of intent. Um, you chose the fish instead of the chicken because at the time you liked the taste of it and it had more omegas in it or something. It could be the case that chicken was better for you, but the fish was poisoned, but you didn't know the fish was poisoned. So you chose the chi chicken instead. I may have gotten the chicken and fish examples mixed up, mixed up. I'm taking this from the movie Airplane. That was what I thought of. Um, but, you know, what, what you chose at the time, and you could formalize this to more burdensome or relevant issues, too. You know, you look at you look at it, you have two options, you choose, you have option A, option B. You don't know all the facts. So somewhat, now, you, if you knew the facts and you knew that it would harm you, would you do, would you still do that? And this is where malice comes in. This is where other regarding, because it could be, it could be that the actions that harm others but benefit you. Um, that's, that's the tricky area. That's the tricky area. So like if I, if I take one of your wallets and take all your money, okay. And I get a benefit from it, you also get a cost out of this. Now that seems to clearly benefit me. So this is, might be the limits of the Socratic slash Plato platonic framework. Socrates would argue that in this case, the thief would, uh, harm himself in a sense by harming you. Now, th again, this is the limitations here. So I will say plenty of actions, which are considered unselfish are easily considered selfish or easily co to construe as being selfish one opens a door for somebody because one wants to look like a good person you know one one returns a wallet or donates to charity so that you so one that so that one looks like a good person um the care for one's own children and friends is another area which arguably the your friend the your statement is the the key word in it you, you care for your children not children in general or other people's children um, since they're somewhat extension of you, they have your own DNA and genes in them. So in a sense, you know, I think Burke's statement, the living, the dead, and the unborn, well, children in a sense are the future. Uh, so, you know, in a sense, you're continuing the lineage on. So it's a part of you. Um, and also, you derive benefit from your families. Your family looks out and friends look out for you. You look out for your family and friends. So in that sense, you know, caring for others helps care for number one. Um, and then this is where I think Adam Smith is also relevant here. And I know that Adam Smith wrote Theory of Moral Sediments, too. I'm not forgetting that, but it's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from the regard to their own self-interest. 
I will also point the Nassim Taleb point skin in the game, which is negative incentives. For one thing, you have law. And you also, if you take God's law, which I think is the, would be the ultimate law, and this is where I think certain liberal theologians have problems with hell and punishment, is that like, you can't really do things purely unselfishness, because virt if, you, if, if acting virtuously or unsinfully, you're doing it in order to avoid hell, damnation, in order to get salvation. In a sense, you're acting out of self-interest. You don't want... Now, again, whether hell and art exists, whether there's lots of sub-questions within there, but um, if you imply something like a reward or a negative incentive, this goes back to the skin in the game, uh, you can't really act purely unselfishly in that sense. And also, more practically, the mechanic fixes the car correctly because he wants to protect his reputation and avoid the, you know, Earth's law, getting a lawsuit, getting sued. You know, the pilot doesn't want to crash the plane or he, because he doesn't want to die himself. You know, there's lots of ways in which people just acting on their own self-interest get a lot done here. So I will say, I think Aristotle has limitations just like um, Socrates. And a lot of Christians take a lot from Aristotle, in particular Catholics. And I'd say in this sense, Aristotle is more of a nationalist thinker. Um, what is seemingly good for Athens isn't always good for Sparta. So if Athens gets better weapons, um, this puts Sparta at disadvantage. It's, a, it's a sort of a zero-sum game. Well, maybe within the walls of Athens, it helps. The tide raises all boats, but not, like, universally. So, you know, this is where I think the Carl Schmitt's friend-enemy distinction is relevant, which Christianity has problems with it because of its universalizing nature. I mean, Zizak is famous for his quick story of, like, having this wizard, they ask the neighbors say, well, I'll do whatever I do to you twice. So if he asked for a million dollars, he'd give his neighbor two million. So the crafty neighbor, and Zizek likes this story, would say, take out one of my eyes. So he takes out both his neighbor's eyes. I mean, that's a really depraved way of thinking. I mean, this is like a, like, you know, you have the, 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 the not the trolley problem, it's the zero-sum problem. Um, I can't think of the name, but that's irrelevant. So that's my overall, you know, it's Rene Girardi and jealousy, you could also say that. Um, at its finest here. So what would you say is the criticism here of my argument, Rick, and then Swithin? I mean, what are the strengths? If you care for yourself properly, prop, if you care for yourself properly, properly understood, the comma in there, then you will care for others at times too. I mean, we're not, we're not Robinson Crusoe, um, but we're not entirely not Robinson Crusoe also. We do act as individuals. I mean, seemingly we act as individuals. I don't know how to act as a group. Um, and, and plenty of examples which are called unselfish, or I mean, pardon, uh, unselfish, like go go get vaccinated or go pay higher taxes or go fight in the war on terror. Like these are plenty of examples done in my lifetime. Like, I mean, I, you know, there I had friends who joined the military in high school and went over to Afghanistan. I mean, you know, patriotism is oftentimes considered unselfish, um, sacrifice. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, Noam Chomsky left, and Ron Paul, and Ron Paul are right. Like this, these are stupid wars. You know, there's not so. You know, it's, there's no, there's no sacrifice involved. Um, so lots of examples where society or the state says to be unselfish. You know, it seems like the selfish people at the time, seemingly selfish, have a point. So I've rambled on here for about six minutes. Here, um, is what would you say? Is selfish the ex excess of self love? You know, are these murders drunkards? and others acting within their own centers, and the friend-enemy decision. I sort of limp the questions because we're going to get off track because you guys are going to say interesting things. So I'll just get my general questions. You can probably can pick them at your wish. Thanks for being on here, Rick. Well, thanks for having me again. 
Um, yeah, you wanted to know, Tim, whether I disagree with you about what you said. I mean, actually, I think I I kind of agree with you, Tim, um, especially where you say that, you know, um, any any selfless act, you know, there's going to be a, a selfish side to it. Um, you know, it's interesting you brought up, you know, Christianity there, because I, I think really... Um, the only like perfectly selfless act could be performed uh, by God, and I, you know, I, I believe was performed by God. Um, but you know, for us, um, many things where we would typically just be thinking, "Oh, that's a very selfless thing." Well, actually, when you you know think about it more deeply, um, you know, there is another side to it. You know, so I was thinking very recently as I was holding. Um, my uh, six-month-old, my, my fourth child. And, um, you know, people would say, oh, how very selfless, you know, a selfless parent, a selfless father, you know, it's a baby, can't look after itself. Um, but, you know, I, I actually get a lot from uh, holding my baby, you know, just holding the baby, you know, my body's flooded with all these happy hormones. And when the baby looks and, you know, just cracks a, a slight smile at me and you're elated, you know, so, you know, I'm, I am getting something from the baby. You know, can I say it's it's entirely, you know, perfectly uh, selfless? Well, no, I mean, I can't honestly say that. Um, and, you know, some people would point to certain acts, you know, um, uh, some people who uh, think that there are flaws with uh, evolution, for instance, they'll use an argument and they'll say, oh, well, if we're all acting in the interest of our genes and preserving our genes, then what about super erogatory acts? You know, these are acts where you'll see um, people heroically risking their lives for strangers, uh, that, that sort of thing, you know, seemingly you know not related to these people, maybe not even the same ethnicity or anything like that. Um, so, you know, what's that all about then? Well, okay, I mean, you can actually argue that, you know, people performing really heroic deeds and stuff like that, um, they're actually creating a good name for themselves or they're a hero. And, you know, let's suppose they have any children or one of their siblings even would have children. Um, you know, it, it may have evolved, you know, that, oh, this is from this heroic family or this person's related to this hero or something like that you know so with all these arguments to say that oh yeah you can get these totally selfless acts uh, among us imperfect humans um you know no I, I would be inclined to to agree with you tim i think that there is a, a selfish side to it um where i would want to refine this is that i think um you know, the last question you asked was, well, what do you think is, um, you know, real, you know, what we would call bad selfishness, if we can divide this up into a kind of acceptable, good selfishness and um, an immoral, uh, bad selfishness. Uh, you asked the question, Tim, well, is it a kind of excess of self-love? Um, and, and I would say, yeah, I think it is. But we've got to contextualize that. Well, what what is this excess how when does self love become excessive um and i i i think there's a good answer for that and uh, i i think i have it but i'd be interested to hear what you two think um i think we have to accept basically two biological realities uh, one comes from aristotle and you've sort of slightly broached it 
with what you've said, Tim. And that is that, um, you know, Aristotle argued against Plato. Uh, you know, Plato saw sort of, you know, dynasties forming and people um, acting against the good of the, the polis, you know, the city at large, um, because they were being nepotistic and they were favouring their own family and things like that. And so Plato came up with this idea that, um, you know, philosopher kings and that sort of thing, that they'd be raised by the state, you know, and they wouldn't have a proper family. Um, Aristotle argues against that and some other things Plato says. He says, no, um, you know, men naturally desire to have, you know, personal, uh, private property, for instance. You know, they want to have something that's theirs. And when they do, they actually properly take care of it. Uh, and he also said, um, you know, we, we have to work with natural affections. You know, parents love their children more than other children and things like that. And these things are natural. Uh, they're not necessarily bad. Um, so, you know, we need a system that's prepared to work with that, understands what people are actually like, and is prepared to work with that. Um, if we do, if you know, if we if we go with the grain of these things, then we can sort of guide um, people's you know interests towards their own genes, you know, their own kin, their own ethnic group, and that sort of thing. Um, and we can start to create a society where people, you know, become more public-minded. You know, they're more concerned with the group. Um, yeah, of course, you know, they will you know do things. You know, that will be self-interested but it's about also you know optimizing that um thinking of others you know so work with natural affections that's one thing that aristotle says that i think is uh, very wise um and we should accept because it's just a biological reality about humans you know there's no sense working against the grain with that um but the, the other thing the second biological reality i think we've got to accept is um that you know, historically, and this is almost a universal amongst humans, we have viewed uh, our groupings, whether that's a family or whether that's, you know, a larger grouping, like, you know, a nation, like a larger tribe, for instance, uh, we viewed that in a corporate sense. So we viewed us all being together as being like a body, and all of us are members within that. And so what this does is, you know, even if someone's acting in self-interest out of something, um, you know, they're also realizing, well, you know, I'm a part of a larger whole, and I also care about the health of that larger whole, because, you know, without that, um, you know, well, what would become of me? Um, you know, and uh, St. Paul talks about this in the Bible, of course. Uh, Christianity being very, very corporatist, you know, we're the body of Christ, um, where he says, you know, what is the hand without the body? Um, so, you know, St. Paul is asking the church to think about, yes, okay, you know, that, that you, you want the hand to be healthy, you know, certainly you want the heart to be um, healthy, otherwise, you know, this is a detriment, to say the least, to, to the, the rest of the body. Um, you know, but thinking about the health of the body as a whole um, is, is it's a good it's a good way to be thinking. Um, so you know, rather than just say um, Adam Smith's, um, oh well, if you act in your own self interest, just incidentally, um, 
you know, things around you will get better and other people will benefit, that sort of thing. Uh, Christianity is saying, well, also, you know, look at it the other way as well. You know, if you, you know, act in a certain way that will make, you know, the body uh, healthy, that's going to benefit you as well. And so, you know, that that's this sort of corporatist way of thinking. I think that's really embracing um, the, the fact that, this is it's double-sided selfishness and selflessness for us for our species um it, it, it's it's just a double-sided a double-edged sword sorry um and you know i i think so long as we embrace those things you know we embrace the fact that we just we do have natural affections um as aristotle said and uh, you know when we form groups, you know we are able to consider certain things about the the health of the group, um, as well as you know what would be uh, in our self interest. And I think that this then helps us to understand what a bad selfishness is. It, it is that that excess of self love, which you know to to make it something a bit more tangible, it's when we. We, we do something that, yeah, it's in our self-interest, but we, we know, we knowingly do it, uh, knowing that it is going to be a detriment to the health of the body, the health of the group, whether that's a family or, um, you know, a business we're a part of. Maybe we're a, a trustee of a trust or something like that, or, um, um, you know, whatever grouping that might be. Um, so yeah, I mean, very simply, simply, I think there is a bad selfishness, and it's when we um, act in our self-interest, knowing that it's going to be a detriment to um, to the group. And you know, you might argue, well, does this person, this this bad selfish person, uh, do they not know that you know if they're gonna do something for the bad of the group, that it's not gonna affect them at some point? Um, I think I think that's an important question. Um, I think maybe that's where the conversation will go. But I've talked for long enough. I want to hear your thoughts about all this. I think your point on groups is interesting. Um, whilst it is difficult to figure out how anybody, well, how you can act as a group, uh, the closest to this, I think, I think Ludwig Lachmann uses uh, argues this in his book. The Legacy of Max Weber. Uh, the, now, the background to this is um, how to understand sort of firms, and you know how can you what actually is a firm, um, and um, he talks about we, we can talk in it as of a corporate body insofar as uh, the individuals who comprise it are of the same mind, as in they're trying to achieve the same goal, and so insofar as that's true, we can then treat them as a as a group acting, as it were, even though individually, well, well um, even though only the individual has, as it were, in the Hoppian sense, direct control over his his actions. He's the only one who can be able to move his own arm in the relevant sense. Obviously, someone else can move the arm, but you, it doesn't have that same sort of integrated sense that uh, they're moving. I mean, and aside with that, actually, it comes to mind. I seem to remember um, there being a scientific study whereby someone... Uh, could uh, a scientist um, pr- uh, pushed various parts of someone's brain to move m- move arms and legs, and the 
individual who was who was having his brain pushed and pulled basically said it was like someone picking up his arm. He didn't have the same like um, sense that it was his action. It was something done externally to him, even though it was done by his brain, as it were. But that, that, that's a little bit of an aside. Um, on corporate groups, I mean, this is clearly going to be um, certainly one stumbling block from, from Rick's position from the, well, the methodological individualist who ultimately ends up being an ontological indiv- individualist. That is, well, only individuals exist uh, in the sense of humans. Um well, I, I, I think, as I, I may have argued here before, I, I think you can make an argument that the family, in at least in the sense of father, mother, and child, is sort of um, primary over and above the individual, at least insofar as in the absence of the family, the individual counts exist. Uh, it is all like the basic sociological unit. Now, does that get us any way to figure out what a group action is over and above um, Ludwig Lattman? I'm not sure. But I, I do at least on, on that sense, in that sense, I think you can make a clear case for a group. Now, whether a nation exists or anything else like that, I think you can make the argument that family insofar as father, mother, and child exists in uh, a relevant sense and prior, in a sense, to uh, the individual. Now, whether or not we can say the polis is prior to the individual and say Aristotle did, insofar as, to my understanding, Aristotle said, um, the the human flourishes only once he's sort of with other humans in the polis, because that's where he can... uh, excel in the way that he otherwise couldn't um so um not necessarily endorsing that position but i think a sense of corporatism is of the corporate body is sort of justifiable um because the problem with the methodological individualist position almost assumes that the individual just comes from nowhere it's almost as god has created a ex nihilo um on god interestingly rick mentioned that he thought that basically could argue that the Oh, he didn't say this explicitly, but sort of like the crucifixion was uh, selfless in a sense, and by God, I would dispute that. I think you can e- you can e- make the claim that um, even though it it clearly wasn't necessary, and it getting it uh, was a great cost on behalf of Jesus's um, life, um, Jesus and God can be um, praised as redeemer in the way that he otherwise would not be able to with the absence of the crucifixion. And so even in that sense, I think you can make the claim that uh, God's action uh, is both self-interested and also, um, uh, and also sort of all loving in a sense um, in that, well, uh, I won't go there now, but I, 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 I do think you can, there's a sense in which God's action is self-interested and, um, Okay, so then the question is, um, what is selfishness? Because we all kind of have an intuitive understanding of what selfishness is. I don't necessarily think, on Rick's position, it can just be actions that affect the group. Because in principle, now I suppose you could argue, um, let's suppose this. Suppose that uh, you, I wish it wouldn't be the question is what I, was, what I was thinking of, whether you would actually consider it a selfish action. Um, but, well, okay. The more I think about it, more selfishness with the group maybe makes um, some sense. Um, but it doesn't, exp- insofar as if something's selfish, you're, the, the sense of the term is you're depriving somebody else of something that is due to them. 
uh, in a sense. Although maybe not necessarily due in a strict sense of justice, but it would be good that you were to do so. And there's sort of a loss if it's not provided. Um, so, um, is that the case? It affects you? Yes, but I'm not sure it, it explains the action. Um, as it were. I think probably the better way of describing selfishness is to distinguish between happiness and pleasure uh, and then go from there. I think that's the, the way to do it. So we can ultimately say that everybody always acts in there to achieve happiness. Happiness we can describe here as like the flourishing life, um, however we want to cash that out. Um, where, but there's also pleasure. So you can do the right thing and have bad consequences and be happy in a sense, like a sense of sort of like stoicism in certain respects uh, but obviously other things you do which are good also have physical pleasure attached to them like eating good food or something um uh, so i i think that uh, the way to understand uh, selfishness is a sense of um prioritizing pleasure over happiness now i don't think you're necessarily doing that deliberately insofar as you're doing something deliberately not to make you happy i'll clarify that later um, in the sense of, let's suppose you're a child, you don't let your brother play with your toys. Why do you not want to do that? Because you like playing with your toys a lot. Now, let's carry out this, you're playing with all the time and and, and whatever. Oh, and th- and th- there is a sense in which you know, it would be right if you were to let your brother play with your toys. And not to do that is to overvalue the pleasure of playing with the toy rather than uh, well, I doing something else or aiding... Um, a building at your brother or allowing them to enjoy good things of yours. Uh, so whilst that, in a sense, I think is detrimental to the group, as Rick has said, I think it's the value of pleasure over our genuine happiness. Um, I think it would be a way of doing, if we want to take the idea that happiness exists and as a genuine way of being happy and everyone tries to uh, achieve it. On happiness, though, lastly, I recently read an interesting book called Freedom of Choice by a French philosopher called Yves Simon from the 1960s. He basically follows the standard Thomistic line with respect to free will, which is that um, if uh, the intellect can uh, rank various actions and objects, and since they exist, they have some form of goodness in them. The the idea underlying this is that um, being is the ground of goodness. And in any situation, you always find at least something good, even in a in a bad act. Um, but since uh, there is a, there is no apart from God a comprehensive good which covers all goods, you could always choose uh, a lesser good. You could your will could fix on that. Uh, and so, when a guy I was interacting with was arguing that effectively, based on this view, um, in a way, you could do something deliberately, uh, in a sense, against your interest. But you could choose it deliberately because it's against your interest, and in, and I think that's true in a certain sense. Um, the, the question is, how do we understand the stand the the uh, senses of which of interest means? I mean, obviously, something you do deliberately to make you financially worse off. Though I can't really think of a scenario in which you do that, but you might. Maybe as a point, but there'd be a reason for doing so. Um, even though it would seem to be against your self-interest in that sense. So um, those would be my sort of overall thoughts on the topic so far. I will first comment on what Rick says. Uh, Plato, I would argue, randomizes child rearing. Um, this is what what is interested in me in the sense that, you know, he, he, I believe the open, one of the open chapters is they um, the fathers and mothers will not know who, I mean, obviously the mother will know in a sense, but the fathers and mothers will not, they'll be separated, they'll, 
they'll be raised in common, and this is sort of the state. So, like, if, if you don't know your children, then there's no your. So that your statement, you know, I do think parents do derive ch pleasure from having children. Um, it is a, you know, it gives them company. It's a sort of enjoyment um, process. It's it's sort of an extension of themselves. It is somewhat of a trophy in a sense. That's a, you, know, you could you could use that in a pejorative sense, obviously. But there are the parents do get you know benefits from themselves uh, from having children in that sense. Um, as far as what Swithin says, I think the I think I think the difference between pleasure and happiness is interesting here. And this brings up my question number two here, which to me is like is is the thief who steals you know. Any act has an element of good at it. Well, the thief, thief steals something because, well, he thinks it's his own, or he thinks he can use it better, or he can't get it otherwise. So, like, you know, if if if, if you need, um, if you need to eat and you're going to steal food, it's a very simple example. Is that because you want to feed yourself or your own family? Is that really quote unquote um, selfish? Well, you're depriving someone else of food, your um, or, or potential future food, and this is where I think the sort of Marx's liberation is strain of Christianity gets gets very interesting here, very quickly here. One of the reasons why I defend, um, um, one of the reasons why, in a sense, defend um, 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 the sort of more capitalistic wing is, is, is I do think surplus, surplus remains a problem, but like, you might produce more surplus because you want to protect your own self. You know, like you want to protect your own family, you don't want to protect families in general. You want to protect yourself from a rainy day here in that in that sense here you know i think there is a story of you know the, the guy storing up for seven a seven year famine i mean you know the marxist liberationists would just you know send it out no he's storing it up for his people in a sense um so i do think um i do think there's selfish and the example about the toy is interesting and this is where i think zizek and rene gerard have a point you could argue and, and i'm sort of sympathetic to both sides here, which is a wishwashy answer, but like, is it selfish to derive pleasure from someone not enjoying something, or enjoying something that something else, somebody else can't have? Because sometimes other children would want to play with a toy merely because that child likes it. I mean, you have to remember Cain and Abel, the first murder. So you have to remember, like, if you if you want to use, let's say, if you want to use a remote controlled car, but you want only want to use it because that will piss off your brother. Because he likes using that remote-controlled car, and vice versa, he actually really wants to use it, but he doesn't really want to use it. He wants to use it because you like it, and this is where I think Gerard comes in, and I think this is where a good understanding of selfishness, well, is is necessary. Like, you know, the 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 desire for the other person to do it is quote unquote pathological, or uh, or you know, sinful, or or unvirtuous. You know. Do, Desiring what other people have. Now, again, as Thaddeus Russell said in his debate with Michael Brooks or Ben Burgess, I forget, the, the you have statement, and you can go in very long diatribes about who owns what. But some sort of ownership, at least body ownership, seems to be a starting point. And if you have something, or if you, 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 ought, you ought to have something, and you want don't want others to have it, and, you know, like, what are the limits of that? Like that that's that to me is the interesting that to me is the interesting process here. And you can sort of expand this upward here because some nations are richer than other nations. Some tribes or families are richer than other tribes. And, you know, and some individuals, of course, are richer and better off than other individuals. So where does jealousy play? Because there's another side to selfishness, which is like, 
well, I want something that someone else has. Isn't that selfish too? Uh, Rick, so Rick, Rick and Swift, what would you make of my second line of questioning here um, with selflessness? How does, like, quote-unquote jealousy raid into this? Is, is that a point or is that not a point? Rick? Hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, Tim, I hadn't thought about jealousy at all. Um, let me see if I can work my way towards it. Um, I, I, I like what uh, how Swithin started, where he said, okay, if we want to talk about corporate groups, um, you know, let, let, let's go with Aristotle and say, you know, the smallest unit we can think of is a, a family unit. Um, r- rather than an individual, uh, because individuals necessarily need, you know, some, you know, quote unquote, unconditional love, you know, they need some rearing into something, they need to be given a language, you know, so they need to be enculturated. Um, and that happens, you know, typically, you know, within the family. Okay, so let, for argument's sake, okay, let's think about the family unit as that small, you know, most intuitive uh, corporate unit that we're all familiar with, hopefully. Um, so w- within that, and I really liked, uh, the same with you, Tim, I really liked Swiven's example of the toy, the two children arguing over the toy. Um you know, so, okay, yeah, you could argue that, um, you know, one of the children is maybe being jealous, overly jealous, perhaps, of the other one with, uh, with you know, let's say, a new toy. Maybe they think their new toy at Christmas or whatever was better than theirs. Um, and so, you know, they would like to spend some time uh, playing with it. Um, you know, uh, okay, I mean, that, 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 there could be a selfishness to that. If, if their jealousy for that thing, you know, for that toy, um, is going to, the way I see it is, if it's then going to be a detriment to their relationship and their future relationship and the future cohesion of the family, you know, their relationship with their brother, if their their envy and jealousy for that thing, that item, that toy, um, is going to be a detriment to that, then, you know, then obviously... Um, that pleasure that they're seeking, that's the kind of bad selfishness. That's that kind of excess where they're seeking their own self-interest, but it's to the detriment of the group, the corporate unit of the family. Um, and and likewise, you know, the, the son who maybe is reluctant to share the toy um, with their brother, um, you, you know, that's, that's the same selfishness, really. I mean, it would be very easy to point to, you know, the you know, one of the Ten Commandments and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be lusting after uh, someone else's stuff, you know, and to chastise the jealous son. Okay, well, you know, the son who's, um, you know, very reluctant to share his toy uh, with his his brother. I mean, again, I mean, it, it could get to the point where, they're, you know, they're, they're just... Um, refusing and it's clear that they're just being very selfish they just don't want to see their brother's enjoyment they want to keep it all for themselves well you know that kind of behavior again that's going to lead to you know a detriment in the future relationship of the brothers and and the the health of the the corporate unit of the family um so you know i, I, w- I would yeah just just a quick interruption um, just a quick interruption. You could expand this analogy to like, you know, Taiwan, Crimea. You could expand this analogy to like control of the media 
Like you want to control the media because you don't want another tribe, not because you do it better. You can expand this analogy up in a sense we're all arguing over. You know, the toy analogy could be if corporate groups do indeed exist or corporations or other larger groups do exist, and methodological individualism falls. So you could expand this analogy up. I, I just want to make that point. I mean, in a sense, we're talking about the analogy, but in a sense, it could be expanded up. That's that's all. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, you know, as, as Swiven said, you know, to, to expand beyond the family in terms of, you know, how a, a corporate body would form, um, you know, they'd have to have some shared vision. Um, you know, as, as I argued before, um, you know, Aristotle would say it's, you know, superior for them to, you know, have shared kinship as well. Um you know, because of those natural affections that come with that sort of thing, you know, you're sort of working with your own nature there. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think it can be expanded out. I think it's helpful, nevertheless, to to look at the family unit as a, um, a model, you know, because, you know, the vast majority of us, we have most of our experiences come from that. And so it's, it's still very intuitive. Um, Something that's occurred to me is, you know, we're talking about virtue here. And, you know, it's always, I think it's always very important whenever you're talking about along these lines, you need to remember that virtue means manliness. Um, and I I think it, it, it does so for the ancients, you know, for Aristotle and all the others we've mentioned, for a very important reason, because, um, you know, these two children arguing over this toy that we're talking about, you're you're kind of expecting the father to step in at some point and to pass some kind of judgment. Well, okay, I mean, but the father is the leader. You know, who's passing the judgment over him? Who's who's keeping him in line in this situation? And so um, the, the reason I'm mentioning this is because I think this addresses Swithin's point about pleasure and seeking happiness. Um for in terms of virtue in terms of manliness in terms of being the the, the father and the the judge and all the rest of it the leader in this family this corporate unit of the family um there's a lot that's expected of uh, of the father and so um you know there's a kind of pleasure for the father that comes from developing virtue so there's a kind of honorable pleasure where um you know he he's he's passing judgment in this situation he's seeking the good of the two brothers in terms of their relationship with each other um you know something which really will be of value in the future the toy they're going to forget about it but you know when they're when they're older you know they're most likely going to be very grateful that they um have a brother who's who's got their backs and, um, you know, maybe if they reach old age, um, they can, you know, uh, spend some time together and have some companionship, etc. Um, you know, we could go on with the examples there, but basically the father is, um, you know, seeking the, the, the health of, of the family. Um, so we can talk about like a bad selfishness then with the father who, is is not just seeking happiness. I don't think it's about just necessarily seeking happiness or pleasure. Um, again, I think it you have to add that that caveat there that if it's to the detriment of the corporate group of the family, so like for instance, the father might not even be on the scene. 
he might have run off with some younger woman and you know technically he's seeking pleasure right he's seeking happiness but it's not that honorable joy that comes from knowing you've lived uh, a life well lived you know a life that the kind of life that you would ideally want your sons to live um the kind of life you know you might imagine your ancestors smiling upon knowingly or whatever um you know so it's, it's it, that in that sense you know that's what we're talking about when we say virtue and there is a happiness there is a pleasure there is a joy that comes from that um you know just you know like i said you know i'm, I'm holding my my baby um you know it's, it's very hard work having a baby um but you know all the sacrifices that you make and, and you know males of species are the ones that sacrifice themselves you know sometimes they are just eaten straight away right after copulating um you know so we're the ones who make this the ultimate sacrifice if need be uh, for the family and so you know you make those sacrifices but there's that joy um that comes with you know even through the hardship and that's an honorable you know what we would call a good um selfishness you know which yes there's the other side to it there's a selfless aspect to it and that's very respectable and that's what makes it so honorable because it's hard it's hard to do it's not the easy choice the easy way out um and there is a joy there is a pleasure that's sought from it, it it's just not as obvious um you know the short term thinking would be yes just go off and run off with the other woman the younger woman and um you know maybe get her pregnant as well and move on to the next and uh, all the rest of it um anyway yeah that that's my thoughts on it there Briggs, um ruminations on the groups and things um maybe think of a of a possible response to tim's uh action if you if you scale up the idea of the toy and um not wanting you you not not wanting your brother to have it can we scale this up saying oh we want to control the media so an enemy group um can't um can't access the uh, resources um which i think is interesting i i i think possibly a way of looking at this would be to say that um the most fundamental group you're a part of is is um the lowest level group is the one which is most closely um related to your own uh happiness overall so this would be your family so really what your if you want to be truly happy your first port of call is to make sure you, your your family is um in order and then maybe your local community and then scale it up from there and so in a sense you do get um outside the base family there are can be sort of genuine rivalries now not that they can't be within it because if it does break down and you, you you can have a situation where um well maybe not for the good of the family as a, as a whole in its genuine in its rightly understood sense but in which the family can act against the individual uh, you can have terrible parents or family members like that um but in general it, it, the idea that you want to, to prevent an outer group from controlling a resource isn't entirely unreasonable if we take the view that um not having it having having another group having it is then going to be detrimental to your group uh now of course then this could then just decline into well let's just get everything so nobody else can have it uh, so you you'd need an understanding of um 
harmonious relations uh, outside the base family unit. Uh, and obviously, so the classical liberal tradition writes quite a lot on sort of mutual beneficial exchange and things. Um, but that would be why, for instance, the brother dispute wouldn't in general conflict, uh, wouldn't be analogous to an intra intergroup dispute because um, the happiness of the individual is more closely tied to uh, the lower group to which he belongs. Um, I think that would be a way of looking at it. On uh, Tim's earlier point, I think he was talking about jealousy. Um, Unless there is something that you genuinely think ought to have been yours, uh, and you have good grounds for doing so, and other people just are um, get, get get resources or get stuff that you would like. Uh, I, in most cases, I just think that's uh, advice. Um, today, uh, there's just a, a lot of people are, are just envious. People have more stuff than them, so they think that they're being downtrodden. Now, of course, I you know I accept I accept um, you know the the argument that the the economy isn't as good as it could be. Um, there's there's um, violence inherent in the system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of stuff goes bad in your life is your fault. And stuff that goes well is because you do stuff well. I mean, and if someone else does well and gets stuff and you don't, well, well good for them. I mean, um, th- there is very much an envious spirit in the age, a great level of resentment. Uh, and uh, aside from... Um, specific instances where one woman marries someone else and not you now even though that might not be justified i mean there'd be a sense in which it would be reasonable for you to be upset about it i suppose we'd have to maybe make some more distinctions um but uh not uh but but complaining about other people getting stuff and you're not you not having it is a bad thing um and similarly I think deliberately withholding stuff from other people just because they'll be annoyed about it again is uh, sort of taking pleasure in the misfortune or the um, displeasure of others um, in a sort of non-justified... I mean, if if it was the case that they had performed an action which which was um, worthy of some sort of um sanction then yes fine um uh, i mean should you be happy that people be have displeasure of being punished well i think that sounds reasonable in certain respects um so but 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 as a as say your brother then probably not um so i i think there's also lots of different levels uh of which to sort of answer this i think we need um quite a quite a um, fine grain distinction to really get um, a, a coherent and full answer here. Well, the third, the final question will be probably too long. We'll go way too long. So I'm, I think we'll just uh, wrap it up here with some final comments here. I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is that selfishness, you could say selfishness is a word that has no meaning, which I don't think is entirely true. Um, I think there is a, an understanding of selfishness. I don't think we should just totally throw away selfishness uh, selfishness and selflessness as a concept because i think it does 
it does point to something which I think is correct. I think you do have to somewhat self-love if either Christianity or any Kantian or like type of ethical system, you know, you have to sort of take the individual. The individual matters somewhat. Even if you want to say the corporate group matters, the corporate group is made up of individuals. So you have to you have to sort of posit that, like you have to sort of start start there. You know, you have to start there, and even you can infer the corporate group as an individual, as a giant organism. You could maybe say that giant organism is a self. You know, like I'm part of, I'm one of many, so therefore, so maybe in that sense, you know, the hand, the head, different parts, but but still, you could you could scale up a little bit. You could say, well, those organizations should care about themselves and not others. I think jealousy is a very envy, jealousy. Those are vices, which are as much as selfishness is talked about as vice. I would say that other vices are also vices in that regard and should not be pursued here. Um, one quick aside, uh, Steph, uh, Kinsella got into a debate with a Randian on IP. I think he made one of the best points. Randy made a very great point. I think this is hilarious. Is that if you take IP seriously, like if you decide that you want to unprint a book, okay, you want to un- you take an idea out so no longer, you can totally cancel it for everybody. And that to me is that to me is one of the, the most interesting things. So if you create a book, a novel, let's say, you don't like it anymore. You don't want anyone else to ever enjoy that novel in the future. You want to burn it for no else. So that would be that would be IP like jealousy. You've created something. Now, who's who's the harm there? Well, your own self is harmed. Um, that's just a quick aside. I, I remember one of the best. If you want a defense of against IP, that's 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 largely irrelevant, mostly to the, the conversation. I really like that aside though. Um, but yeah, jealousy probably relates to property ownership too, which again is another libertarian concept here that we cannot get cannot get away from here. So if you want to take a more corporatist understanding, you know. You know, which individuals within the corporate body are entitled to things? Because Rick brought up the example of the father. But then how should the father rule? Should the, or, or the patriarch or the leader? How should the leader rule in that scenario? Like, again, it seems like one child is going to have enjoyment. The other child is not going to have enjoyment if they desire to both play with thing X. You could try to play two things X, two thing X, and get, give both of them the same thing. But then I, then I, then I would reckon that, and this, this is where I think the pathological nature comes in, that they wouldn't desire that thing anymore. And that's I think where Rene Girard and Zizek come in for the win. You know, it's the thing is sort of like a fill-in, the material item. There's a fill-in for just general conflict, which, you know, that that would be my overall point here. I think you do have to say self-enjoyment. You know, self-enjoyment is a virtue, and it's it. Maybe the excess is a vice, but a certain amount of self-enjoyment is necessary. If you want to make a final comment, we've gone about 50 minutes here. I don't want to go too long here. So, Rick and then Swithin, thanks for doing the show again, Rick. No, thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, I, I suppose final thoughts. Um, I I like that um, you, you know Swithin was really clear to say, okay, if we're going to talk about a corporate group, and um, you know that an individual might act, um, you know, in their self-interest, and then it's to the detriment of that group. Uh, that group's got to have, um, you know, shared shared vision, shared ideas. I, I think it's an important question. Then, if we do scale that up, let's say we scale that up to, um, you know, a nation. Um, or uh, you know a city city state of some kind um 
I think then it it becomes all the more important that everyone's on the the same page about certain things within the family. Okay, you know you've got the the, the father there, and you know there's very you know ideally, but you know for for the most part, there's a lot of natural affection there for the father towards the children. So you would expect a lot of benevolence. If we scale up to the the nation and the nation state, I think it becomes all the more important then that those who are uh, making decisions um, on behalf of others, um, though those people have to have um, as much affection, you know, towards their people um, as as possible, and. Um, it, it's not entirely clear how you know how you could do that in any perfect way, but I think that uh, maximizing that, so you know, having um, people with uh, you know a shared philosophy or you know certainly a shared religion, um, probably you know shared kinship. So you know, ideally speaking, there would be some shared ethnicity there. Those you know would probably be very helpful to say the least. Um, but, it, you know, it does raise the question then, um, you know, what happens then if you have uh, groups who are not, um, you know, don't have shared ideas, don't have um, any, you know, any incentive at all um, to really care for, um, you know, the native pol- native population of this theoretical nation you know what well what happens then um you know if if it was in a, a family and all of a sudden um you know the, the the father is replaced um or the mother uh replaced by uh, you know someone who doesn't really have any incentive to be affectionate towards the children um you know, uh, does not share their beliefs or you know, anything like that. It would it would raise some concerns, to say the least. Um, you know, and uh, you know the stories of the the wicked stepmother, etc., and um, and all kinds all kinds of anecdotes about uh, a strange new man coming on the scene into the family home. Uh, all of those things would be fresh in our minds, I imagine. Um, how much more important it is then, I think, as we start to scale up to to larger and larger groups. But um, yeah, that's that's my my final thought. Anyway, thanks again for having me, guys. Thanks for joining, uh, Rick. Uh, my my final comment would just be in the case of um, selfishness. Um, it, everyone has to have a sense of of doing things because they like doing it and it's good for them in a certain way, either pleasure or happiness or both, hopefully. Um, because it's like, if nobody did things in their own interest, no one ended up doing anything they wanted to do, which would seem to be bizarre. Uh, like, oh yes, well, I, I fixed your leg. I'm a selfless doctor. I didn't even charge you. It's like, well, why did I do it? Well, so that you could do something you probably liked rather than just going around helping people uh, and being completely quote unquote selfless. If nobody you actually helped ever got to do anything that they wanted to do, would you even think that what you did was valuable? Well, well probably not. Um, so um, this is ultimately why I think, depending how you understand the term, some form of egoism is true. Uh, 
Nah, that doesn't necessarily imply, well, that tends to imply subjectivism, which I don't intend it to, but there must be at some level in the way of uh, thinking about ethics that you do things because it is in your interest to do so, and that is a good thing and not a bad thing. Uh, I think otherwise you get, as I say, those odd conclusions. I'd now just like to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on Podbean on YouTube. The uh, more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason at all, please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. Yeah.